Can we have the kids? Kids, come on up. We have something for you. So take one. Why, why am I giving you palms? Why, Eric? Because um, when Jesus came into town on a donkey, I think, we, they all had palm leaves. And why did they have palm leaves? Because he's the Lord. <laughs> Good answer. Anybody else? Just take them and pass them if you would. Why? Because it's Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. Sarah, anything else? Because um, um, they were laying the palms down for the donkey to walk across. And why did they do that? Because he was the king. This was a way to honor him as he came into Jerusalem. And so we're going to take the palms, and you're going to get to wave them as we go out. And do you know what they shouted? Hosanna to the king of David. Okay, so let's shorten that just to Hosanna. Can you, can you boys and girls shout Hosanna? Okay. Moms and dads and grown-ups, can you show them how it's done? Okay, you're going to let them out, do you? Try it one more time. What did they shout? Hosanna! All right. There you go. (laughs) Would you please join me in praying for the boys and girls? Lord God, thank you for these boys and girls, and help them have the courage within themselves to shout Hosanna to you today. Thank you for coming into Jerusalem, even knowing what you were facing, and maybe especially knowing what you were facing. As the boys and girls learn more about you today, fill their hearts with joy that they can't help but sing Hosanna. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, what a fun time of the year as we come and we celebrate Palm Sunday today and Easter next Sunday, and my goodness. And, and let me tell you, the worthy performance is awesome. I, I do want you to know I have a starring role in it. When I was asked, they didn't ask me to sing. They told me there were no words I had to say. All I had to do was follow Jesus, and I figured, gee, I could do that. And so I get to be a disciple. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just kidding about a starring performance. The only starring is my last name, Star, so that's the only way it gets to be that. But uh, it really is powerful. And uh, my goodness, good, good performance to bring non-believers to because it's going to make them think. It's going to make them understand and consider what Jesus went through for us. And so if you have any leverage on getting people here on one of these performances, that's a good thing. And and what happens oftentimes is people will come on the performance tonight and they'll think it's so good they'll invite other people and come again. So you might want to do that as well. This morning as we come, we come with a passage that usually isn't chosen probably 
for this time of year. But uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 7, I guess it's not so bad. Let's look at that and let's stand as we read this together. From God's Word. Let's share together now. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. You did a great job. You may be seated. You know, this morning as we come and as we look at that passage, it says it all right there. You know, you're going to have to listen to me for about 20 minutes, and you're going to think, ah, 20 minutes, and it was just about that passage. Well, yes, but it's a little more than that as well. If you'll notice, the title of the message today is, I'm So Confused. And some of you are out there thinking, yeah, right, you know, you didn't have to title the sermon that way, we already knew that. But I am a little bit confused on this, and if I was a person that came into the church for the first time, and I I heard some of the passages of Scripture that are read and, and that are shared, I would think to myself, well, that's really confusing. I mean, it seems to be so different. And by the way, it's probably something I shouldn't be admitting to on Palm Sunday. I'll try not to tell people on Sunday morning on Easter that I'm confused, That probably is not good ethos there to building that credibility. Can't you just imagine that? We have all these new people in church on Sunday, Easter. By the way, you are bringing people, right? I've just purchased 150 Starbucks cards, so you better be bringing people or my wife's going to have a lot of Starbucks cards for the rest of the year. So she likes that idea. If she tells you don't invite anybody, don't listen to her. So invite your friends so that I can get rid of some Starbucks cards. You know, as we come and as we look at this, wow, can that really be possible, what took place? And as we're on this Palm Sunday, as we look, I I, I want to look forward. I want to look forward to Holy Week, and I want to look forward to Easter. And I, I want us to consider some of the things that are there. And I think whatever we believe, there is one thing for certain, and that is that we cannot remain neutral on a message like this or a message on Easter or or this whole thing of what happened during the Holy Week and what happened on Easter Sunday. I mean, you can look at it and say, oh, that's a good story, but, but you can't. You can't stop there because you have to come and you either have to believe or you don't believe. There's no in-between. You say, well, pastor, of course there's in-between. I don't have to believe. I'm sorry it doesn't work that way. Either you are for Christ or you are against Christ. You say, well, pastor, that's not very nice. Well, no, it isn't. But guess what? I'm not the one who said it. You know who said that? Jesus. For he says, you are either for me or you are against me. You either believe or you don't. You're either saved or you are not. You're either a follower or you are not. You're either a part of his church or you are not. There is no in-between. Do you understand how that works? I mean, you can go and say, okay, you know, it's not that I, I... 
don't believe in Jesus. I, I just don't know. You can say that. And honestly, you can say that. But on God's standard is, if you are saying that, then you are not a part of him. That's the rules. That's what God set up for us. And we have to understand that. You either choose to be a part, to believe, to be saved, to be a part of the church, or not. It's that simple. And yet it's that difficult. As confusing as this is going to sound, we have to take a stand. Let me suggest a couple of areas here that, that are confusing to me. And, and really, I, I mean, I'm convinced. I'm, I'm really not confused. I'm convinced, but it's kind of confusing anyway. Because, first of all, the believers seem to not believe, and the non-believers seem to believe. Now, is that confusing? Wait, wait. The believers are supposed to believe and the non-believers are supposed to not believe. But the non-believers seem to believe and the believers seem to not believe. How is that the case? Five times in Matthew, his disciples were told that he would be crucified, that he would be buried, and that he would rise again. And he even told them where to meet after the resurrection. You remember that? You know, it was news to them, but they were told often. And ironically, after he was dead and buried, the Pharisees, you know, those religious leaders, the Pharisees remembered his words, but the disciples had forgotten. You remember that? Oh, no. You know, he said he was going to rise again. He said the temple is going to be built again. He said, we better get guards out there to the tomb. Because he said, and if that happens, we're in big trouble. And so we got to make sure that this does not happen. Wait, wait, wait. They're not believers. And yet, they're saying we believe. And then the disciples and his other followers... He had told them five times just, just beforehand that this was going to happen. The Old Testament told them all kinds of things about this. And the believers are saying, oh, he's dead. He's dead. What are we going to do? He's dead. Hello. Don't you remember? Five times he told you that he would be crucified. That he would be buried, but that he would rise again. Five times. What don't you understand? And yet they're in tears. They're afraid it was gone. It was over. Look at this. The number of religious leaders who believed he was the Messiah. Zero. Those who did were stargazers, the night shift shepherds, and a couple of newlyweds. Well, kind of. Hmm. The number of disciples, 70. Those who defined him to the end or defended him to the end, zero. The number of people Jesus healed, too many to count. Those who defended him of those, zero. Zero. 
You see, the believers didn't believe and the non-believers did believe. I'm so confused. The ones who wanted him dead were afraid that he was alive, and the ones who wanted him alive assumed he was dead. But there's more. Here's another question. A question of who is in charge. A question of premeditation. Okay, put on your detective hats. You know, here you're trying to figure out, okay, is this premeditated murder or accidental murder? Now, now this is strange. The killers thought they had planned his death. You know what I'm talking about. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they had plotted and planned how this was going to happen. They knew they had to get rid of Jesus, so they figured, okay, we'll get these people to say he did this and and did this, and and then we'll get the Romans to crucify him, and all will be wonderful, premeditated. The problem with that is they were behind because Because God already took care of all of this. There didn't need to be any premeditation on this murder on the behalf of the Pharisees. Jesus knew from the very beginning what was going to happen to him. What must happen to him. For instance, let me give you a few. From the time that man fell in the Garden of Eden, Jesus knew what he had to do. From the time Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice, notice the sacrifice here, and God provided a ram, a substitute for that sacrifice, Jesus knew what he had to do. Do you understand that or am I just talking over your heads? You see, this whole sacrificial system, God provided the substitute to take the place of Isaac. Guess what? God provided Jesus to take our place, to be that substitute, so that when he was crucified, we did not have to be crucified. Way back in the Old Testament, he was putting into place this, what Jesus was going to go through and do. In fact, let's look at Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6, for it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. Who is he? Even in the Old Testament. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Sounds pretty clear, doesn't it? That something was taking place here. Way, way back, the idea was there for them, for Jesus. He knew. Premeditated? (laughs) Pharisees had nothing going because God had it all figured out. All right, is there more to that verse? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Who are the sheep? We all. Us. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he took the iniquity, he took the sin, and laid it upon himself to pay that price for us. My goodness. 
Jesus knew what he had to do. When Herod ordered all the Hebrew babies two years and under to be killed and Jesus escaped, he knew what he had to do. When Jesus seemed to be lost in the temple at 12 years of age and he told his parents, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He knew what he had to do. When John the Baptist introduced him as the Lamb of God, Jesus knew what he had to do. When Satan tempted him in the wilderness trying to get him to hand over his right to the earth, Jesus knew what he had to do. When Jesus replied in John chapter 12, verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, he knew what he had to do. Do you think that Jesus knew what he was doing? Listen to the words in Matthew chapter 16 and 17 and 20. Let's look at these. Notice from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. You know, here he is. Hello, guys. This is the schedule. This is what's going to happen. Pay attention. He began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Did Jesus know what was going to happen? He knew what he was going to happen. Did Jesus take part in that? He took part in that. Was it premeditated? You bet it was premeditated. From the very beginning of time, it was determined that Jesus was to come and die, to be crucified, to raise from the dead, and to be that sacrifice for us. Look at chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, who's them? The disciples. The son, hello. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life, and the disciples were filled with grief. Hmm. Did they get it? They heard it. Did they get it? (laughs) Probably not. Well, look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. Can't you see to him? Guys, come here. Come here. Now, now listen up. I, I need you to hear this. Because this is going to happen. This is important. Pay attention. Peter, quit sleeping. Come over here. He took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, we're going to go up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Do you get it? Disciples, do you get it? Have you heard? (laughs) Talk about premeditated. Jesus understood all along what even those closest to him did not put together until after the resurrection. He carried that cross for 33 years with no help from anyone else. Who is the victim anyway? I'm confused. (laughs) Premeditated. (laughs) Pharisees, you think you planned this? 
You had nothing to do with it. You were used. You were used for the purposes of God. So let's see. The believers seemed to be non-believers, and the non-believers seemed to be believers. The premeditation of... The victim premeditated it. The perp had no clue. That's weird. So, so now the question is, do I laugh or do I cry? You see, because those who began laughing ended up crying, and those crying, laughing. I'm so confused. First, there was God. His son, Jesus, who was in the very essence God, was killed, and the heavens shook. And yet we gain perspective when we look at Psalm 2, verses 2 through 4. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Who's the anointed one? Jesus. Look at verse 3. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. But look at verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. <laughs> Jesus is crucified. The heavens shake. And God laughs. <laughs> Do you realize what you guys just did? You just took part in the most perfect plan ever made. <laughs> oh, we were sad, but... We laugh. What's that saying? He who laughs last, laughs best. And I can hear God laughing today. Because their perfect plan had come to fruition. You see, God knew that it was not the end of the story but that they were lighting a powder keg that was about to explode with resurrection power. Do you understand what I'm saying there? That the resurrection, it took care of everything. That the resurrection showed the power of God. That the resurrection showed that death had been defeated. Hmm. I, I think maybe I'll laugh. Oh, I'll cry this week, okay? You're allowed to cry this week. This is Holy Week. We're walking towards the tomb. We're walking towards the cross. We're walking towards crucifixion. We can cry this week. But my friends, it is Friday when he was crucified. But what does Tony Campolo say? Sunday is coming. <laughs> I think I'll laugh. That's a good one. <laughs> cry all you want. But Sunday is coming. The resurrection is coming. Yes. So let's see. That was God. Then there were the disciples and Jesus' other followers. He was crucified. He was dead. He was gone. And they were behind closed doors crying. And then the Pharisees. And the other religious leaders, they were celebrating and laughing. They had him right where they wanted him, in the tomb, dead. 
But that was Friday. And Sunday was coming. Do I laugh? Do I cry? I'm confused. I think I'll do some of both. One last thing here. Well, did he or didn't he? Are we or aren't we? Oh, did I forget to tell you what we're talking about? Sin and sinners. Well, did he sin or did he not sin? Are we sinners or are we not sinners? Well, well, no, but yes. Well, yes, but no. I'm so confused. Did Jesus sin? Well, wait a minute. Hmm. The Bible says that Jesus was without sin. So did he sin? No! He was without sin. 1 Peter 2.22 says, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Did Jesus sin? No! He did not sin. He was without sin. Hmm. You know, further it seems that we have a lot of it. A lot of sin. So, are we sinners? Yes! We are sinners. You know that verse that I quote often? For we have all sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. <laughs> okay, that's pretty clear. But for Jesus, the answer seemed to be, no, he didn't sin, but yes, he did sin. But wait a minute, he had no sin. And for us, yes, we have lots of sin, but no, we don't have sin. Would somebody make up their mind? Is it yes or no? Is it no or yes? What's going on here? But here comes the really confusing part. Listen to these two verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, I told you he had no sin. What? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wait a minute. Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us, so we who have sin might have no sin. Talk about confusing do we or don't we? Does he or doesn't he? Wait a minute, there's another verse here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Okay, wait. He himself 
bore our sins. He who had no sin took on the sin of us who have lots of sin. So he took on our sin. So he who had no sin became one with lots of sin. And we who had lots of sin gave our sins to him. We had nothing to do about it, by the way. He's the one who did it. But we who had lots of sin, he took that sin upon him. So we have no sin. Go figure. The sinless was sinners. The sinners were sinless. Boy, am I confused. It appears that he took care of it all. Jesus, no sin, took our sin, a lot of it, so that you and I are redeemed, have no sin. You know what we say to that? Hallelujah! Yahoo! I wonder if that's the translation in English to hallelujah. Yeah, probably not, but Jay, you think it's close? You don't think so? Okay. The star translation says, Yahoo! For he who had no sin took on the sin of the world, that the sin of the world may be gone. Hmm. You know, I, I think I'm beginning to get it. I, I, I think. Really, I kind of had it for a while. I'm just fooling with you. You see, our ways are not God's ways, and God's ways are not our ways. Amen? Aren't you glad for that? Maybe in Luke chapter 24, verse 7, maybe that explains it. Remember the verse we shared at the very beginning, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. So, although almost everyone thought it was all over, including his disciples, Jesus shouted triumphantly over my dead body as he conquered death, as he conquered hell, as he conquered the grave, and he rose again just as he promised. Hmm. You know, I, I think I got it. I, I think maybe I'm not as confused as I thought I was. Because Jesus took care of it all. So, I think I have it. But do you have it? Do you have Jesus Christ within you? Do you have the Spirit of God there, staying in your heart? In your body, in your life? Because, you know, if you don't, then it gets really confusing. If you do, it makes a lot of sense. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. My goodness, that which seemed so confusing, and yet it is not. Lord, it is because of the price that you paid for us that we have life. And that we have life abundantly. That we have freedom in you and we have freedom abundantly. That we can say hallelujah and we can say yahoo. Because we know 
that price was paid. Lord, as we move through this holy week, may we understand that we can cry for a short time because of the suffering, because of the torture, because of the death that your son had to undergo. And yet, because of the resurrection, we have hope. Because of the resurrection, we have life. Because of the resurrection, it becomes all clear. Lord God, thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If we could have the ushers now receive the offering.
it. You can go ahead and be seated. I want you to watch a video that kind of brings home this idea about Palm Sunday and, and what we're looking at and the faith that we have. Let's watch. wonder it seems so confusing because we have the desire in our heart to have all these things our way and yet God wants it his way so I ask you what's most important here our way or God's way you know at the beginning of the message I told you we just can't stand in the middle that we have to decide do we have it our way, or do we have it God's way? Do we make Him Lord of our life, or does it not matter? You can't stand in the middle. You can't just be there saying, ah, you know, whatever. It doesn't work that way with God. We either choose Him, or we choose against Him. What's your decision? What's your decision? I want to take a moment to pray here, and if you've not made that decision to follow Christ, I want to give you a chance to pray a prayer to make that choice, to make that decision. I don't want to force you to do it. I don't want to converse, converse, that's not the right word, 
coerce, thank you. I don't want to coerce you into doing that. I want it to be something that you want to do because that's the only thing that counts is what you want there because God wants to be your Lord. He wants to be God in your life. And he could make us, but then what is he? You know, he wants you to make that choice. So let's bow our heads. And if you do not have Christ in your life right now, and that is a desire of your heart, may you pray a prayer something like this, and you can just say it to God. Lord God, I come to you right now. I give my heart to you because I'm tired of running my life myself. Lord, forgive me of the sins that I have committed. Lord, may I follow you. May you be my Lord and my King. Thank you. And Lord God, that is our prayer too, the rest of ours. As we who follow you, maybe we don't follow you in the way that we should, to the extent that we should. And yet, Lord, this day, let us give ourselves to you. Let's open our hearts to you even more. Let us open our minds to you even more. May we turn the ownership over to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen. My friends, there'll be people in front to pray with you. Have a great